Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about something uh, that really, you know, you would think would be sort of at the core of what it means to follow after Jesus. Because James chapter 1 verse 22 tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Do something. Uh, I want to read, um, this is, I'm going to include a link in the show notes, okay? Because me reading this and actually listening to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preach this message is a totally different thing. But I want to read uh, a little snippet from a message that he shared about this idea of doing something. He says, you may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you're afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you are afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you, or shoot at you, or bomb your house, so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you're 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the Spirit. You died when you refused to stand up for right. You died when you refused to stand up for truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. And like I say, hearing me read those words and hearing him speak those words is a totally different experience. So, In the show notes, if you want to go, there's a YouTube, uh, it's a video, but it's not, there's not video of him saying it. It's just a little still image in the background, but you can hear the passion because he's not talking about theoretical stuff when he says, you know, you might not want to take a stand because you'll lose your popularity or someone will attack you, stab you, shoot at you, bomb your house. This is that was very real consequences that he was facing and that he did face. And even though for us, that's not where things are, that's not the degree that we face uh, hindrances and obstacles to us taking action on something that matters to us. We still do find obstacles and reasons and excuses and why we don't go after what really means something to us. And so what I want to do in this episode is talk a little bit about a bunch of different things. And it's not going to be a really um, completely extensive list. It's also not going to be something where there's going to be, let's be honest, probably enough time spent talking about any one of these individual issues 
But I want to talk about a handful of different things that we can do something about. And I have a feeling that as I read through this list, there are going to be maybe one, maybe two, but probably not every single thing on this list is going to be something that you're like, man, I am passionate about that and something needs to be done about that. I need to get involved somehow. It's probably not going to be every single thing on the list, but like I say, probably one or two of these is going to really jump out at you and you're going to have the opportunity to put into practice this idea from James, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And then this, this beautiful passage from Dr. King that when we see something come up that calls for our attention and action, if we don't do it, part of us dies because we know the right thing and then we choose to come up with reasons why we can't do it. We come up with uh, all the different reasons that we're too busy or we're too limited in what we'd be able to do anyway, and it's just going to be a drop in the bucket, yada, yada. We know the list of excuses that we come up with. And so what I want to do is go through and talk about some things that need action, that need attention, some very real issues. They're going to be both in our country and in the world, and just talk about this stuff. Now, again, just like uh, with the link to the YouTube video, in the show notes, there are going to be a whole bunch of links where you can research some of this stuff further. Because like I said, I'm going to be touching on a bunch of different issues, but it's not going to be long enough to give a full picture of each of these things that you know you can get involved and you could do something about. So there are links in the show notes that can give you uh, just kind of a, a handhold to find out, okay, what is more about what's going on here? And from there, you can figure out what it looks like to do something. So these aren't in any kind of an order as we go through and talk about these issues, but it's just a few things that I think we as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to take action. So the first thing on my list, uh, and we talked about this in a previous episode, I talked about abuse and addiction. And maybe that's your passion. Uh, So maybe you do something or maybe you could get involved in doing something with the women and men who are victims of intimate partner violence or kids who are victims of abuse or neglect in their homes. So maybe you're part of a domestic violence care organization, or maybe that's something that you want to get involved with. Maybe you foster or provide temporary emergency shelter for siblings so they can be kept together before they go into the foster system. Or maybe you are considering or have already uh, adopted Or maybe you work or volunteer with a rehab facility. Or you're part of AANA Celebrate Recovery, some other addiction recovery program. Because those things impact so, so many people in our communities. 
And even if it's hidden on the surface, even if you don't really immediately see it, this is stuff that people in your neighborhood, that people in your community, that people that probably that you work with uh, are dealing with this stuff to one degree or another. And if you look and just say, man, I, I can't stand that people are dealing with abuse or neglect in their homes. I can't believe that couples are physically, sexually, emotionally abusive to each other. I can't believe that kids are in those environments and they, you know, they're innocent and all this. I can't believe that. If, if that's getting you riled up even to think about that idea, um, do something. You've got opportunity. You've got uh, organizations and ministries in your community who specifically reach out in these areas. And if that's something that you're passionate about, that's a great place for you to get involved and bring God's kingdom to life more and more and more here on earth by meeting people and ministering in the midst of the situation of abuse or addiction or neglect. Um, Then thinking of the next thing, this is uh, more on a worldwide scale. The people who uh, don't have access to clean water or who are affected by malnutrition, lack of uh, getting the appropriate vitamins and minerals and protein and all that kind of stuff that we spend so much time here in the United States thinking about how to make sure that we get into our bodies. Uh, One in nine people worldwide don't have access to safe and clean drinking water. Half of the world's hospital beds are filled with people suffering from a water-related disease. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. One in nine people worldwide don't have access to safe and clean drinking water. For me, um, as I read through and talk about some of the other things on the list, it it might be kind of obvious to you that for me, this lack of access to clean water is really high on my list. This is the thing that I feel the most connected to of saying, Alan, not saying everybody, saying, Alan, this is your thing that you have to do something about. Um, I've spent some time in places that are underdeveloped countries, and I've talked to, this is just heartbreaking. I was in um, Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, and the surrounding areas uh, shortly after the earthquake there in, I think it was 2010. And I talked to people who they and their kids were getting sick because the earthquake shifted some of the um, groundwater, the water table, that kind of stuff. And the wells that they had previously used that gave water that was fine, you know, especially in these, um, in these places that are underdeveloped, it's not water that you or I could travel from the United States and drink and we wouldn't get sick because there would be some bacteria in there and there would be some other things that would cause us to have um, 
you know, upset stomach, diarrhea that would cause us to get sick for maybe even an extended period of time. But for people who have lived in those communities, they've adjusted in the same way that, um, you know, our bodies are used to what we're around. Their bodies are used to that. But when this water table shifted, um, when the earthquake changed the way that the water, I don't understand how that works, but there started to become some significant, significant issues with lack of access to clean drinking water. And I talked to, like I said, parents who, um, I talked to one mom who had lost her child to unsafe drinking water. They got sick from just drinking water out of their well and their child died. And I think that moment for me is really what brought this from a statistic to something that I'm like, man, I I need to do something about this. And so I spent some time, uh, not just on that trip, but a couple of other trips back to Haiti uh, working on that. But then I also uh, have found an organization that I really believe in and that part of Annalise and I, my wife, are giving every month. Part of our giving goes to uh, support providing clean drinking water to people who otherwise wouldn't have access to that because that is kind of a no-brainer for me, that that's a huge need, and it's a simple way that we can get involved and do something. Uh, And then the next thing on the list, maybe for you, uh, your passion lies more uh, in the area of victims of human trafficking. Worldwide, it's reported that there are probably 20 to 30 million slaves in the world. And many of these slaves are underage, they're kids. Uh, Many of them are victims who are forced into prostitution Um, slavery or involuntary servitude and a lot of these victims um, are committing sex acts for the purpose of creating pornography and I don't I don't think this requires any more explanation Um, there are vulnerable people many of them kids that are growing up in a place where there either aren't any options that are available to them or having nothing to do at all with options that are kidnapped and forced into this uh, life of slavery, often sex slavery. And there are organizations, there are ministries that do undercover stuff to go and try to identify victims of human trafficking and bring it to the attention, work with local law enforcement in a lot of areas and help get these people the help that they desperately need. And that's a way that we can get involved by supporting those ministries, by by learning how to identify um, the signs of potential human trafficking to find the spots where that's kind of a hot spot, maybe even in your own community. Um, And 
that's a way that you can get involved and do something. Uh, the next thing on my list is people being discriminated against uh, based on race. And this, I'm thinking, uh, this happens worldwide, but these statistics are um, U.S.-based. So though black and Hispanic people make up about 32% of the U.S. population, um, they make up 56% of all incarcerated people in 2015. And if you, um, if you look at it, you find that black and white people use drugs at similar rates, but the imprisonment rate of black Americans for drug charges is almost six times that of white people. When you pause and think about that for a moment, uh, just think about the different response that this was, you know, a little bit before when I was able to be, you know, paying attention to this kind of thing. But if you remember the response to the crack epidemic, um, the crackdown in law enforcement that happened and brought about the idea of mandatory minimum sentences and um, really met this drug addiction with law enforcement compared to what we're dealing with now, the opioid epidemic, which the crack epidemic was, uh, a lot of it was focused in the black community. And now a lot of this opioid epidemic is focused in the white community. And you see that the response is less about throwing people in jail and more about rehab and compassion and trying to bring about healing and trying to help people see ways that they can break the cycle of addiction. It, I'm not saying that that's a bad response. That's a great response. But where was that um, during the crack epidemic? And you see that for people of color, there's a different response from governmental level, from a law enforcement level, from a um, just a societal level. And when you look at some other things that are involved with some of the systemic racism, and if that bothers you that I'm saying this and you think I'm totally crazy or you just are upset about it, um, I want to let you know that that I'm not making this stuff up. I've got links in the show notes to talk about this stuff. But students with stereotypically black-sounding names tend to be labeled as troublemakers by teachers a lot more quickly than the other kids in their class. And you might go, well, that's kind of an insignificant thing. But um, think about for a moment how quickly that would spiral, right? Like we talked about in the episode on Jacob and identity, what people expect of us, what people think about us, really impacts the way that we act and move into the future. Uh, job applicants with names that were, again, stereotypically black-sounding are less likely than their white-sounding counterparts to get called in for interviews. 
You probably have heard about that before. Uh, and then this is something that's not, uh, it's not a statistic, it's not a study. Uh, my brother is part of a ministry in Camden, New Jersey. He's on staff at a church there, and he lives in a community that's uh, probably a 90% black neighborhood. And one time when I was visiting him, one of his neighbors said, he was talking to me and he said, can you believe that we live on a street that's named after a slave owner? And I went, I tried to do some research to like confirm fully that this was the case and I, I couldn't figure it out. But regardless if he lives on a street named for a slave owner, there are undoubtedly many, 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 many communities where that's exactly the case. And I want to talk about this for a second because if you're listening to this and you're not black, uh, then I think it's going to take maybe a little bit of empathy on our behalf to think through how it would feel. I want you to imagine that the street you lived on was named Ted Kaczynski Way or Timothy McVeigh Avenue. That'd be absolute insanity. But we have people in our cities, in our neighborhoods, who are living in that kind of a situation. That would make you feel like you didn't belong in that place in a hurry. If that's something that I think you can hear that this uh, is another one of the things on this list that matters a lot to me. Uh, if that's connecting with you, do something. The next thing on my list, uh, orphans and vulnerable children. It's estimated that worldwide, um, 140 million children are orphans. Half of the deaths of children under five are attributed to malnutrition. That's three million lives lost per year. Worldwide, there are 168 million child laborers, which is around 11% of all children in the world that are working in those kind of conditions, kids who are vulnerable, who are innocent who don't didn't have a chance to make a choice for themselves who were born into a situation where um, there probably were not really choices available to them period and there are a lot of ministries that are reaching out to kids in these kind of situations there are a lot of organizations that are working to make um, the lives of kids better. If that's something that you're passionate about, you can get involved in ministries and organizations that are doing something. The final thing uh, that I want to address here is people that are discriminated against based on gender, sexuality, sexual identity. Um, you know, I, I found this report that one in three women report that they've been sexually harassed at work, uh, I have a feeling that that is wildly underreported. I think it would be a whole lot more than one in three women. Um, 
and we have this environment where you know it's great i think in some ways it's been you know probably a little bit um, over the top the way that some of these some of these specific situations in the me too movement have been dealt with um, but i think it's important that there's an opportunity for women to say hey we've been living in this environment where it was just sort of like oh yeah that's just the way that person is when i tell people that i'm being sexually harassed that i'm being groped that i'm being that there's these advances being made that i continue to shut down and and say leave me alone essentially um there's there's an environment in a lot of places where it's just ah yeah what are you gonna do you know that's just how guys are you don't like it don't spend time around guys and we're creating this environment where women are uncomfortable feel unsafe feel uncared for by the people around them and by you know especially in a work environment by the organization that's there supposedly to protect and make sure that this is a safe and secure environment when you show up to work you're here to work not to be harassed to be bothered by people like that uh, and then when i think about um, when i think about sexual identity um, we know that there's higher attempted suicide rate and suicidal ideation among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth especially. And no matter what your thoughts are about how that stuff lines up with, um, with how God wants us to live, it matters that there are youth that are trying to figure out life, that are trying to figure out who they are, and they feel so unsafe or so unwanted or so unable to talk to the people around them to reach out and to say hey here's what's going on in my life and I just I don't know what to do I don't know how to handle it I don't know the next step um, that's not okay obviously if that gets you riled up and gets you excited um, do something that's the list that I have, and that's not an extensive list. That's not covering every single thing, obviously. Uh, and you probably notice I'm intentionally leaving out some overly politicized things like addressing gun violence, abortion, climate change. But for some of you listening, one of those things might be your passion, and that's great. Whatever you get upset about, or excited about doing something, get involved in being part of the solution instead of just an observer of the problem. That's the sweet spot. Because there's no shortage, there's no lack of things that we could be frustrated by or that we should be upset about. Because when we look, we see that obviously this list of things I just read through it does not look like 
God's kingdom coming to life here on earth, that people are living in those situations. And so what we have the opportunity to do and what I believe God is calling us to do, remember, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. God's inviting us into what it looks like to bring his kingdom to life more and more here on earth. And I'm guessing that as you listen through this list, there's one thing, there's two things that really jump out to you. And you say, you know what? For too long, it's been easy um, to look the other way. For too long, it's been easy to say, well, I'm too busy. Or, well, it's such a big problem that I can't do anything to make any kind of a difference. What I would do wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket. Um, You know what? That might be true. But what we find is that when we start doing something, uh, when we start taking action, we realize that there are some people around us that are like, yeah, that's cool. That's kind of been on my mind too and on my heart. And I just, I never knew, you know, that I could really do anything about it. We find that there are so many of us who look at the status quo and say, that's not okay. And if we start to do something about it, the people around us kind of get awakened or inspired or um, more aware I guess, of the fact that doing something is an option. It sounds kind of weird to say it that way, uh, but I really think that sometimes we just get kind of overwhelmed into paralysis. We hear about so much stuff that makes us feel discouraged or outraged or overwhelmed that we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, well, Uh, Maybe it's just, if everything is worth caring about, maybe I just can't care about any of it. Otherwise, I'll go crazy. That's why I've been hammering on this idea of finding one, maybe two other things on this list and saying, you know what? I'm going to take my faith and I'm going to put it into action. I'm going to make this something that I do something about.